0: We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation.
1: Science, logic, reason. Do you have any
2: hard data? Now, that's what I call science. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. You're listening to That's What I Call Science. My name's Neve Chapman and I'm excited to tell you that for National Science Week, we're bringing you something a little bit different. We've collaborated with the Royal Society of Tasmania to profile four amazing women working in marine science. Now, we've done this through video, so we've mostly done video interviews where one of the co-hosts has completely led the episode and interviewed someone they find inspiring in marine science because of that the content is a little bit different to normal so you might hear the co hosts asking you to stay tuned or keep watching Um, and that's because essentially we've tried to use the content to provide it in as an accessible as possible format across multiple different channels you're likely listening to this episode on edge radio or across the nation via the community radio network We hope you've enjoyed the content and I'm pleased to say that we also have complimentary activity sheets to go along with this content to help inspire the youngsters at home. You can find those at that'science.org.au. They feature amazing artwork from Tasmanian artist Josh Pringle and Brisbane-based Aboriginal artist Shara Delaney. We hope you enjoyed the content and that you enjoy the resources to go along with it. That's all from me. It's time to hand over to our guest and hear more about the amazing women in marine science.
0: I would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we were gathering today, the Palawa people. Today, we are meeting across Lutruwita Aboriginal land, sea and waterways online. On behalf of everyone, I would like to pay my respects to elders past and present, as well as the Tasmanian Aboriginal community who continue to care for country. We recognize a history of truth, which acknowledges the impacts of invasion and colonization upon Aboriginal people, resulting in the forcible removal from their lands. We stand for a future that profoundly respects and acknowledges Aboriginal perspectives, culture, language, and history, and a continued effort to fight for Aboriginal justice and rights, paving the way for a strong future. Hi, and welcome to Working on Water, a collaborative project between That's What I Call Science and the Royal Society of Tasmania for National Science Week 2020. Today, I'm joined with Claire Butler from Marine Solutions, and we'll be discussing her current role and her experiences in the field. For Science Week, we will be interviewing four women that work in marine science and seeing what their role means to them. Hi Claire, thanks for coming in today.
1: No problem, it's great to be here. To start off with, could you give us an overview of what you do at Marine Solutions? Uh, So at Marine Solutions, um, I'm working in marine consulting. And um, so our role in consulting is almost as custodians, you know, for the marine environment. Um, as a society, uh, we use the marine environment, we, we want to go swimming, we go boating, we set up fish farms, we build jetties um, and uh, our role is to make sure that we, we can do all these things but we do it in a way that is sustainable um, and can be carried forward into the future.
0: Mm. So at Marine Solutions, do you have any specific projects that you're working on at the moment?
1: yeah we have a lot of projects (laughs) some of them are really short um, and some of them are also ongoing over um, a a longer amount of time Um, one one that i'm working on at the moment um, there's um, a company that is trying to set up uh, a seaweed farm um, to farm a species of algae that uh, stops cows farting methane (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's actually, it's a really interesting project. um, And I think it has some really exciting implications in terms of uh, global warming Mm -hmm. um, because, uh, you know, livestock and, you know, the Australian dairy industry contributes, Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I can't remember the stats quite, it's something like 14% um, of Australia's greenhouse emissions. Mm -hmm. I might have that wrong though. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So in terms of your
0: role in that process, how do marine solutions fit into solving a way that the algae can then help with the methane emissions?
1: Well, the role of marine solutions um, in this particular project, uh, we've sort of, we've been brought on to uh, help in uh, the application process. Um, You know, setting up a marine farm of any sort involves, you know, you've got to get a lot of Mm licences and um, you know, it might involve some environmental monitoring um, and you know have got to you know, write up uh, you know, species biological assessments um, and uh, these sorts of things. So uh, our role is in you know, helping, helping the sort of application process um, through that. Um, but you know, we're also collaborating with um, a research team at IMAS um, and um, a couple of different industry uh, companies. Um, and so, you know, so there's a whole, there's, you know, mm-hmm. there's research going on in different areas yeah. and, um, you know, different trials happening. Uh, yeah.
0: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So it really is a collaborative effort between different organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. This is a really nice project where you do, you get to work with a whole bunch of different people across mm-hmm. the state, um, all, you know, yeah, all on different parts of it.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. With other projects, this one and other ones, do you find yourself going into the field often?
1: Yes, definitely. I think um, as a consultant, probably half the time we're in the field um, and half the time we're in the office, you know, doing things like report writing or project planning. Um, but yeah, I, uh, we'd probably be out in the field, in the boats often, um, yeah, maybe, maybe half the time. Oh,
0: wow. the probably long... averages out. Ah, neat. How, um, how long do these boat trips often go for?
1: Um, not necessarily, you know, sometimes it might just be you, you go out for the day. Um, sometimes it uh, might be a couple of days. Um, we do, we work around the state, so sometimes we're driving up to Stanley in the northwest or up the east coast, uh, down south around Research, Research Bay, and then a lot of stuff locally, you know, around the Dontracasto Channel, Norfolk Bay.
0: Mm. Um, yeah. When you're out on these boat trips, what is... A regular day for you. Uh,
1: so we do quite a variety of different things. Uh, one of the uh, one of the main things we do is probably water sampling. Um, so this is often for uh, companies, aquaculture companies, and also for uh, Tas Water as well, who manage you know the state's water and sewage um, And so you know we'll often just we'll go out in the boat. We'll have various different sites and you're just taking a water sample from the surface, uh, the middle and the bottom. And we, we essentially just fill up uh, bottles of water. <laughs> um, and we take those to the lab and they get analysed for um, nutrients, heavy metals, um, you know, depends a little bit on the project and what we're looking at, um, but they'll mm-hmm. get analysed and we get the, get the data to have a look at that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but we can also, we do a lot of diving as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of environmental impact assessments. Um, So these these might involve, you know, going for a dive, taking some videos along transects, looking at uh, what what habitats exist, whether there's seagrass or algae or soft sediment. Um, You know, looking at what species exist there. Are there lots of introduced species? Is there none? Um, We do bathymetry mapping as well. Um, So that can that helps uh, tell you what sorts of habitats might occur um, and it can also indicate um, how the water might be flowing in a certain area.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so just to double check, what exactly does
1: bathymetry mean? Uh, bathymetry is, um, it's essentially the topography but of the sea floor. So mm. if on land you can imagine you've got mountains, you've got hills, you've got valleys um, and you have the same thing underwater um, but we just can't really see it. So bathymetry is just the mapping of those, the, the contours, essentially.
0: There's a whole world underneath the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, so your work sounds incredibly varied. Could you tell me about any particular amazing experiences that you've had?
1: Well, I think um, some of the most amazing experiences I've had would be diving. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that, I don't know, underwater, there's, it's, it's almost like another world. There's so many, you know, cool little critters and uh, cool seascapes, I guess, as opposed to landscapes. Um, and I've been lucky enough that I've been able to go diving in, you know, such, such a... Um, a lot of varied habitats throughout Tasmania in particular, um, you know, having been up north and down south and on the east coast. Um, and so just being able to see that variety is is really quite amazing. I do think, you know, over the years of diving, there is, you know, sometimes you do kind of have a bit of a, a conflict. You sort of see these really lovely, you know, pristine habitats, and then you'll, you know, you'll see another area that has, you know, potentially been degraded just through human use or um, even just, you, you can see the impact of, of climate change sometimes, um, particularly on the East Coast. I remember uh, one dive that I did um, in an urchin barren and, you know, we sort of, we dropped down underwater and it was just, it was literally just a bare boulder field and, you know, having, having been in, you know, lush kelp forests, all these fish and invertebrates and colors and then just in this yeah bare boulder field, um, it, does, it does make you you can't, you can't help but be sad sometimes. Mm.
0: Does it give you a strong emotional drive towards your work that you know that you're making a difference and helping things?
1: Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely part of the motivation in you know doing what I do and you know having pursued the opportunities that I have. Um, I think it's really important that we that we look after what we've got Um, and yeah so that's you know in consulting it's certainly a good way to do it you know we're not going to stop using the marine environment so I think that if we can work out ways to do to do so in a sustainable way then I think that's uh, a real positive. Mm
0: -hmm. Growing up did you always know that you wanted to go into marine science or was it something you realised later on?
1: Um, I sort of, I fell into marine science in a somewhat funny way. (laughs) (laughs) Do you tell? I I actually, um, I do remember in year 12 listening to a David Attenborough documentary um, talking about an upwelling zone, I'm not sure where, but I remember thinking, oh, marine science, that's pretty cool. Um, And I actually enrolled in a marine science degree um, coming out of school, but I took a year off and in that year, Uh, I went cycle touring and my friend who I was with uh, she got hit by a car in the process she was fine (laughs) (laughs) but it just just the experience I think I know it changed my mindset a little bit I was like actually maybe I want to be a paramedic and I actually started a paramedics degree um, but after six months uh, decided no actually this isn't for me and I enrolled in and actually completed my degree in geology and plant science. Um, But I reckon it was about the end of my second year of my degree and I got my dive licence. And I then took up, you know, shortly after took up a couple of marine science subjects and I just loved it. (laughs) (laughs) You were hooked forevermore. Yeah, Um, yeah, and so then I then switched switched into marine science for my honours.
0: Oh, brilliant. Could you tell us a bit more about your honours project?
1: Yeah, so my honours, I was looking, it was in sort of in seaweed ecology, so I was looking at uh, giant kelp and uh, where it's distributed around Tasmania and how that's changed uh, over the last sort of 30 years. Mm. So in terms of
0: That's a huge and really long scale project. Where do you get this data from?
1: Um, I was using satellite imagery. Uh, I wish I'd got a lot of field work, (laughs) but I didn't. Uh, But no, I was so satellite images. um, You can you can see floating canopies of kelp uh, because they photosynthesize. Um, It can come out as bright red uh, in Mm. some in satellite images. So um, I had a yeah time series of satellite imagery over 30 years and I used that to pick out the spots uh, where it was and mm. create just a time series of area.
0: Hmm. Well that's incredible.
1: So in these images that have been collected how do you spot and pick out the kelp? Um, so well giant kelp's really special in that it can it grows from the sea floor you know right to the surface of the water and um, you, you can see it on the surface of the water uh, through what's called a NDVI index, so mm. a normalised difference vegetation index. Uh, but that's essentially uh, just a ratio of the amount of red and near-infrared light mm. uh, that's reflected off the sea surface. Um, so kelp uh, will, oh, I might get this the wrong way around. <laughs> uh, kelp will absorb the near-infrared Uh, whereas the uh, water will reflect it uh, so it just creates a contrast and uh, you can you can see that really easily uh, in in the imagery um, if you using the near infrared and red bands. Has the process of collecting the images changed over the 30 years or
0: has it always sort of been the same method?
1: uh, well, I mean, the images are collected, you know, I, I use Landsat imagery. Um, so, they've, I mean, they've obviously, you know, over the years, improved their mm-hmm. sensors and improved the, um, you know, the amount of data they can collect uh, through, you know, expanding uh, the, the wavelengths uh, in their sensors. Um, and the technology to actually extract the, you know, the data on kelp canopy cover um, has improved a lot over the years. Uh, what I, you know, for my honours, I used a relatively simple method, uh, but these days um, people are developing a lot of automated algorithms um, that can do it a lot faster and a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> Once you've got the algorithm mind, um, it's a lot easier. <laughs> mm, I can imagine.
0: How did you find the transition from pure research into industry and working for marine solutions?
1: Uh it's quite different. Mm. Um, I have found um, a lot of the projects in, you know, industry are a lot are a lot shorter. You've got a lot more sort of small deadlines because, um, you know, people, you know, they might need the need the licence or the permit or, you know, things sort of happen at a bit of a faster pace. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the, um, the, you know, the sort of the scientific way of thinking and, you know, the processes that you learn, you know, through, all that I learnt through sort of academia and research assistant positions can can be transferred over hmm. um, yeah, but there's there's certainly you know different aspects to consulting that I hadn't necessarily considered mm-hmm. uh, so much uh, in in a more research focused role
0: yeah um, is there any advice that you would give to someone thinking of making the switch from research to industry?
1: I think that um, you, that, that having a you know variety of different skills uh, can be really useful. Um, I was able you know I had a I had a diving certificate. Um, I have a little bit of experience with uh, spatial data and GIS, um, and I've you know done a little bit of modelling before, and I've used all those uh, all those skills in um, an industry you know consulting environment, uh, which has been really useful. So yeah, I think just um, you know, realising what skills you have and the different ways they can be applied. Um, And, you know, in in a consulting team, it's, you know, the more variety, the better, I guess.
0: Having grown up in Tasmania, which is an island with such incredible access to as you said water sports and fishing and so on how do you think being Tasmanian
1: affected your future career in marine science? Well I I certainly think you know being in Tasmania gave me uh, the I guess a passion for the outdoors Mm -hmm. um, and you know a love for nature and you sort of anything you love you want to look after Um, So I think that that's certainly, you know, part of the reason that I have ended up in a scientific career. Um, And I think, you know, I think Tassie's a a really great spot for Mm. marine science. We've got, you know, we've got, in terms of research institutions, there's IMS, CSIRO, the Australian Antarctic Division, and we've got, you know, so many uh, industry companies as well, um, all, you know, doing, using the marine environment Um, so there's there's a really great community and I think just because it's uh, a little bit you know it's 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 small compared to Mm -hmm. a lot of places Um, you get to know everyone um, and you get to work with everyone and it's sort of you know you can bring all these different aspects into you know just a single project and I think having that diversity um, and knowing you know the people you're working with so well um, I think it creates a really nice environment Mm-hmm. Uh, to be working in, which which certainly helps in in any job.
0: Mm, definitely, <laughs> and the work that's done here in Tasmania, it has such huge relevance both locally and internationally as well.
1: Yeah, mm. definitely. Um, I think what w- a lot of the stuff we do here um, is is very relevant worldwide. Um, Tassie, I mean, in terms of climate change, well, I won't say we're lucky, um, <laughs> but we have we have a really a nice spot to be studying in because you know our waters off the east coast, in particular, are warming. Mm. You know, at about four times the global average. Mm. Um, so we're seeing a lot of change in our ecosystems. Um, that you know that that, from a scientific perspective, um, is is quite interesting. Um, and so yeah, you know, places around the world, you know, can can look to us.
0: Could you please expand on why
1: Tasmania is heating at such a higher rate
0: than the other oceans?
1: Yeah. Uh, so the on the east coast of Tasmania uh, we have a uh, a boundary current, the East Australian Current, which sort of flows from northern Australia down the east coast, and um, as a result of climate change and you know changes to atmospheric circulation um, affecting ocean circulation, then the East Australian Current is Sort of penetrating further and further south. So, um, you know, the result of this is that, yeah, the waters off Tassie are warming at a much faster rate than some other regions mm. around the world.
0: Mm. Am I right in thinking the East Australian current was the one in finding Nemo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the
1: one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, looking at your career as a whole so far, have you found being a woman in particular has raised any? different challenges or any
1: sort of obstacles that you've needed to come up against? Um, I think I've been pretty lucky uh, in my career so far. I don't feel that I've been uh, disadvantaged in any way by being a woman. Um, I certainly know, um, you know, I've certainly heard of some experiences. I mean, I think it is a shame that uh, there aren't so many women high up Uh, Mm -hmm. in the higher levels of science because, you know, coming through, you certainly notice that, you know, a lot of the time all your supervisors or something might be male Mm. and I think it's really important to have females in those roles, um, you know, just for diversity and to give different people to look up to. Um, And it's certainly a difficult, you know, I guess scientific circles can be a bit difficult to navigate sometimes. Uh, and, yeah, I think, you know, having that diversity is, is really important.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> D- did you have any role models when you were going through university or even school? Because you mentioned David Attenborough, but was there anyone yeah. perhaps? <laughs> we all wish we knew David Attenborough, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, but do you, do you have anyone
1: in close contact that really helped you through? Um, I've had uh, a lot of a lot of good support in terms of um, some of the 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 supervisors and um, mentors I've had around me Um, I think probably in particular I mean I'm looking at role models Um, I think I've found a lot of you know a lot of my support has uh, come from the friends and peers around me in science Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Learning with them and you know learning from their experiences and being able to talk to them um, has has helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's
0: definitely a big drive towards being open with your struggles, especially in academia. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say the same is it's the same in industry as well? In you really need to be honest when you're having a problem. Mm.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think um, if you're you know at any point in time if you're working with a team. Um, you know, if you're struggling with, you know, something, whatever it is, it might be something to do with work or even in your personal life, I think it's really important to be able to be open about that. Mm. Um, but and, and, you know, I, I'm lucky enough, you know, particularly in my job at the moment, it's a really supportive environment and so, you know, if anything comes up, if you're struggling with, you know, how to plan a project or you don't know what, you know, there's, there's always someone there mm. uh, to be able to talk to about it.
0: Oh, that's so brilliant (laughs) to have that
1: support network. Yeah, yeah. Has there been a particular
0: result uh, that you've had from analysis or a field work moment that you would say that was so far your favourite moment from working in marine science?
1: Oh, I think, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think one of the, uh, maybe one of the um, ones that comes to mind is you know after having done all the analysis of satellite imagery you know so i've stared at all these images and you know drawn circles around kelp beds for weeks and weeks and weeks Mm. on end (laughs) and finally at the end of that once you sort of you've got all your numbers and you can put it in a spreadsheet and you can you you plot that first figure of you know area of kelp through time um that was certainly a good one.
0: Oh, all the work <laughs> well, paid yeah, off yeah. Well, the you sort of,
1: You see your result and you're like, oh, you know, I, ha- I have done something. Yeah, that sense of achievement. And, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh.
0: Thank you so much for coming in today, Claire. It's been really brilliant talking with you. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah. And thank you for watching. If you're interested in That's What I Call Science or the Royal Society of Tasmania, please head to our social media channels to check us out. Thanks and goodbye.
2: You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at EDGE Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support Community Radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information. Whether you live near the coast
0: or inland, the world's oceans still produce some of your food and influence your weather. I'm Professor Emma Johnston, and as a marine ecologist, I study how the oceans and humans interact. It's like working in a giant underwater science lab. This National Science Week, discover more about the fascinating world around us by diving into one of hundreds of online events at scienceweek.net.au.
1: G'day, it's Costa here. Did you know that when you smell a fragrant flower, you might actually be smelling its reproductive organs and that some plants can be female one day and male the next? And did you also know that plants reproduce from a distance and sometimes use us to do it? Fascinating stuff. This National Science Week, discover what our promiscuous plant friends are getting up to in your backyard. Just Google National Science Week.